Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, the AmericanMagazine.org had a fascinating essay by a former Wall Street Journal writer and also a former kind of youth club travel baseball coach. And he was just sort of breaking down the world of travel sport youth culture. And here's the best paragraph I read. I need you to take him. The father on the phone was upset. If his 10-year-old son did not make the team at the $2,500 per season private baseball club where I coached, the boy would lose friends and the family's routines would be upended, he argued. They would have to drive to another suburb for ball games. Looking for a deeper, more forceful argument, the dad added, this team is our community. The privatization of American youth sports over the past 40 years is one of those revolutions of late stage capitalism that should shock us more than it does. We have commodified the play of millions of children into a $19.2 billion business, weakening volunteer-based programs that promise affordable sports <clears throat> for all children. It is a trend mirrored by our schools, hospitals, and military. Once proud, public institutions are being privatized with many unintended consequences. For millions of American families paying private for-profit clubs thousands of dollars a year to organize athletic games for their children is now an unquestioned way of life that shapes family routines, work schedules, and commutes. That is why I was sympathetic to the angry dad's argument and in the end took his son for the team. And Don, this article just goes on to talk about the change in kind of American youth sports culture. It focuses on baseball and it talks also just kind of about maybe the slow decline of baseball as a sport for, for kids. What did you think about the article? It was long and very detailed and really took baseball through the history of how it began, whether it was just generating from a stick and ball game that was played unsupervised all over to the development of Little League and to the present day. It was very comprehensive. I thought it was really interesting. I, I don't know much about baseball. I never played baseball. Um, I, I had one son play baseball for a little while, and it kind of fits with what the article talks about. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting world out there. I, I just hadn't thought that much about baseball, but I felt like I learned a lot here. The idea of its sort of grassroots nature, as you said, and, and I was growing up and I love baseball. And I remember I would, you know, have friends and we would kind of get together at a sand lot or even in a concrete parking lot and we would play all day. Of course, we would make up our own rules. And that was something they even said in the article was that baseball used to be played with all sorts of different kinds of rules in its early beginnings. And we'd have ghost men on first, ghost men on second. And we would just play because we loved the game. And then the big part when I was growing up was there was sort of the recreation parks and rec league and there would be 10 15 teams in our city it seemed like every boy in my class was on one of these teams and then you just played all summer long or i guess you'd play one game a week maybe you'd have a practice but what the article kind of talks about is how all of that has now changed there's much fewer parks and rec teams everybody else has gone out to find a club to play baseball with well, yeah, and that mirrors the other sports we've talked about as well, where there is some sort of rec league to begin, just get kids involved, and quickly people are pouring money and time into this to try to pursue an elite level of performance. And in baseball, it seems more ever-present and that this is a level that's very exclusive only to people with the money. And they'll take limitless amounts of money, and people spend limitless amounts of money to get to these levels. 
they mentioned that the Little League World Series, which got started, I think, kind of in the maybe the, the 50s or 60s, maybe was the worst thing that ever happened. And that here was this gorgeous baseball field. Here was a game that 12 year old kids could aspire to want to play in. And it felt like the big leagues. And in some ways, that sort of became the inspiration for parents and adults and also just businesses saying, man, there's a lot of money here we could make if we just have more baseball and we start making it more exclusive and we start having people train for it. And now they just talk about the unlimited number of tournaments that are across the country and the unlimited number of baseball games that kids can regularly play. And it's just so much more than what the Parks and Rec was offering. And then the downside of it is only so many people can afford to actually have this experience as Parks and Rec usually was at least an affordable way for everybody to play. Well, yeah, and now everybody can play as long as you have money. If you have enough money, somebody will take you on their travel team. It may not be a good team, but you'll be on a team. And these tournaments and the, uh, like you said, the Little League World Championships, it really brings a lot of attention to it. By the way, we do know that almost none of these Little Leaguers ever play in the Major Leagues, right? Totally. It's, but- it, it's a, it is an end to itself. It is the end of eight, 12-year-old baseball. And then beyond that, we're not moving to some higher level. It's just this kind of dream and pursuit of excellence and pouring more and more resources into it. It seems like a whole nother society from what I live in. But wouldn't you say that youth sports are just all about hope anyways, right? You have a young kid who maybe he wins a race among other young kids, or maybe your kid hits a home run. And all of a sudden you just see something done well and it lets your mind drift well, maybe they've, you know, are a little bit above everybody else here. Maybe if we just coach it a little more, put some more time in, maybe we could be the one to make it to the top of the pyramid, right? Because that's really what sports really are, is just this huge pyramid competition where many people start out and only a select minority actually get to the very top where there's wealth and fame. But I think parents just allow themselves to, to go into those dreams, right? Well, I think it's more like a needle in a haystack rather than a uh, minority. But the idea that, yes, they get excited about it, they jump into it. But it seems, and the article talks about this, and this is my observation as well, it becomes its own culture and that the team that you're on becomes your friend group and your children's friend group. And if you are cut from that team, you're ostracized for not only the team, but the community you've built and your friendships. And that's all shattered. So it becomes more as, as much about the parents, it seems, than about the kid. Yes. And, and that was a big part. There's a quote that just said, I realized that the parents were not just buying baseball instruction for their children. They were buying entertainment for themselves and they were paying for the community. And the author just kind of goes on to talk about, you know, I do think you've got a lot of adults out there in the world that are, I don't know, kind of lonely or looking for social interaction you know, you start hanging around your kids' sporting events and you're around other adults. It's more than just kind of a handshake is pretty soon you're making small talk and pretty soon you're seeing them on a regular basis. And pretty soon you start to find, man, I really like these people. I could see where parents look at youth sports as an opportunity for them to socialize where maybe they just always don't. I was thinking about my wife and I this year, our child started playing club soccer. And by the end, we were really kind of bummed that the last game happened, not because 
we were also enjoying watching our kid play, but we were going to miss a lot of the people that we kind of uh, had gotten to kind of see on a weekly basis and stuff like that. And the one thing I kind of wondered is if my child was just friends at school with one of our soccer teammates, would we have ever met the other kids' parents in a way that we have? And I don't think we would have. No, because you wouldn't be stuck in Columbus, Ohio for a whole weekend, just hanging out with them nonstop with all the downtime. But I mean, it's the same way for kids. That's how you develop friendships. It was for me, the downtime I spent at track meets, you'd be there all day, only racing for like maybe a total of 10 minutes. But the rest of the time you're hanging out with people and you end up being friends with them because you spend more time with them and you find the people that you like hanging out with. And I think that's true of the parents as well. But it's like you said, if it's just a classmate, you may not know it. And I'm not immune here, by the way. I love watching my kids perform in pretty much anything more than anything else. I'll go to a choir concert and watch and just love it. See my uh, friend, my son squirm around and try not to sing. But <laughs> I just, I don't know if this is fulfillment of like my dreams or just self, uh, self glorification, but I enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. I never got into this travel sports much with our kids, but we, uh, we still enjoy seeing them do anything. No, you're right. I, I enjoy watching my kids do anything they're into. I do think there's something about sports, especially if your kid's in a close game. It seems, you know, an equivalent to the NBA finals or any, you know, the Super Bowl in terms of there's drama and there's suspense and your kids are involved and it can be very exciting. And that seems to be the other part of it is it's not only the social connection with other parents, but hey, when there's a good game going, it's still a good game. And that's something that I think a lot of people do appreciate. Well, absolutely. And uh, you and I aren't going to an NFL game. We don't have tickets there. We don't really go to NBA games more than maybe once a season. And this is the stuff that we enjoy watching. This is also a scarce thing. It's, a, it's only a limited time we can watch your kids perform. They're going to be moving on and getting into a level where they're working, not performing in all likelihood. And we don't really get to watch that. After reading this article and just sort of listening to some this parent at the very beginning talk about like, look, this is our community. You can't cut us. It took me back to very early in my career. I was coaching freshman basketball. I had a, a parent that just couldn't let go that I had cut their child. And they were calling me and emailing me kind of week after week for a good month, month and a half, like looking for more reasons. Why did I cut their child? And for what do they need to do for next year? There was anger. There was almost like bargaining. And I was just like, wow, like this is very strange. And now as a parent, I kind of get it that basically when I had cut this kid, I had also kind of cut their family off from their social connection, if that makes sense. There was a whole group of kids that had been playing together and had been um, you know, growing up together and playing the sports together. I think the parents were all connected together. And not only did I cut the kid, but I think I cut them off from their social group, if that makes sense. It's not like they couldn't still go and be with their social group, but in a way it wouldn't be the same. And I guess now I have, I guess maybe more empathy for how this guy was, was feeling and you know, just something that I just sort of connected to. Also, you don't want to see your kid upset. I remember when my son was cut from his seventh grade basketball team, he was so upset. I mean, I've never seen him so upset. And I, my heart went out to him, felt so bad. And of course, we were frustrated that he got cut. We didn't reach out to the coach. We just kind of took it and moved on. But nobody wants to see their kids sad. 
And for us, it ended there. We weren't really caring about the friend group, but maybe that is true. Maybe that they're ostracized from their community. I mean, the running's on the wall. We're talking freshman basketball. My understanding of freshman basketball is if you're in freshman basketball, you're probably never going to make it to varsity. I mean, it is what it is. So just kind of the end of the line, which is also sad. Right. And that's true, too, is that at some point, a lot of these sports end. And that was sort of one of the questions that kind of is kind of raised in the article is just that kids are going to spend this much time playing club baseball or club soccer or club lacrosse or whatever the sport is. Where does it all end? Right. I mean, you put all this time into mastering certain techniques of a game but so few of these techniques are, are going to be maybe used later on in life, I guess. Now, maybe some grit and being able to take some feedback and, you know, the sense of working hard or accomplishing something. But I do think that's interesting of usually you hear about youth sports culture in America, and most people are pretty negative about it. Would you say that overall it's a, it's a negative or a positive or, or how to think about it? Well, I'll tell you how it ends. It all ends almost always in a loss. <laughs> everybody ends with the loss even if they're a champion they end with a loss and then they are done with their career because they don't have it anymore like it ends with a loss and very few people ever go out on top we're talking you know handful of people and so but what happens in between is building confidence i think is the most important thing as a kid i struggled with a lot of things and learning disabilities and whatnot but being a good athlete gave me confidence to do other things and say like, I can do things. I know I can do things. And that's the takeaway, I think. Um, and if you build confidence and community and working together with other people, those are important skills and skills that you can take away from uh, athletics at the youth level. Also just building, working with people are different from you, interacting with people. Like these are the big takeaways. The hard part is that you join a club and it's not just like kind of a, a, a once a week commitment for, for a season, right? For like the fall or the winter. Instead, it's pretty much a year round commitment that you're making. And one of the questions that's just sort of raised in the article is like, is that too much? Are we pushing kids too far? And it's like, I know you like baseball, Johnny, but now you're going to like baseball three days a week with practices and five games a weekend. And baseball is going to be entire, your entire life. And it's like, we don't actually maybe try to space it out. Somebody's even quoted in the article. They just say young kids need to have a sense of themselves and they've got to discover that on their own. And if we're pushing kids into these sports, are we maybe taking away those opportunities? Yeah. Well, there are opportunities to do different things. Also become better athletes by experiencing a diversity of different things. Steph Curry played a whole bunch of different sports. He wasn't just basketball and that made him the great athlete he is. These sports are positive transfer events. Like if you're good at soccer, that'll help you in basketball and it'll help you in football and help you in other things. And so there's that aspect. Also, there's the aspect of injuries. I remember reading a story about an orthopedic surgeon and when they'd have a baseball player, you know, high school, middle school age baseball player come in with elbow problems, he had a big marker board. And he said, all right, uh, when the nurse went in, she'd say, put on this marker board, we want you to put down all your uh, kids' accomplishments and all the things they've done. And when the doctor comes in, looks at the marker board and says, this is why their elbow hurts. They need to stop doing this all the time. They need to do other things. And this over-specialization leads to injury. It leads to shorter careers. Michelle Wee just retired. You remember her? Incredible she golfer. Was the, the golfer, yeah. She was an incredible golfer at like 13, 14, 15. 
she's like 31. She's done. She's just done. She doesn't have any more desire to it. Just wants to have a family, do different things. Like she's done. You know, a lot of these people that start really young. I remember Jennifer Capriotti, who's about my age. Again, youth blossoming talent done. It's just too much too soon. And we need to do diversity of different things, have more experiences. And the specialization can come later when they're a little bit older. And this is something we try to do with our kids. But baseball seems to be, according to the article, you need year-round coaching in order to be competitive. And that might be true if you want to be on the team. And baseball is one of those sports like hockey that if you're not on the team, you're not going to improve because you have to have a bunch of people around to practice. This isn't basketball where you can be out shooting jays all day on your own. So you do need to make that team. And if you don't have the skill, you're not going to make the team. If you're not going to make the team, you're not going to get really good. And so that's something that's really, really important. So then you guess you do need year round coaching. It just seems like a rough gig. I know when my son was playing baseball, I think it was in third grade. He went to a tryout for a travel team and he showed up in shorts and everybody else had sliding pants on <laughs> and they were turning double plays. And my wife who took him was like, I don't know what happened, but somehow we're way, way, way behind. And he didn't do baseball anymore. He's a really good athlete. He's really fast, strong, good skill level, but eh, he's not doing it. He moved on to other things and that was fine. No, and, and what you bring up is, is something that my wife and I experienced about a year ago when we took our daughter to kind of a soccer club tryouts is we get out there and you know, our kid is, is kind of just floundering out there, not really knowing what she's supposed to do with the soccer ball. And all the kids around her, though, you look at their footwork and like their technical ability. And clearly these kids had been playing for a year or two at a fairly high level with a lot of coaching. And just like your wife kind of said, hey, when did everybody start playing soccer at a really high level? You know, we had a very similar experience this fall when we were trying basketball for the first time is, man, I mean, kids had like, you know, perfect jump shots, shooting with one arm, and they were coming to jump stops and just stuff that clearly there's been some coaching there. But then there's also the game experience, as you probably noticed with with youth sports, there's aggressive kids and then kids that aren't quite ready to be aggressive because they're still trying to figure out the game and how to kind of think through it. You know, just clearly there are people that have been playing a lot. And then there's just that compounding effect. And as you were kind of saying, like your son's baseball career was almost over before it began. And it wasn't like somebody said, hey, everybody, we're starting or whatnot. But but people found a way. And and the, I guess, kind of escalator that's kind of going off in that direction is, is happening. And then you got to decide, do you want to hop on or off? But if you don't get all the way on, like other people are going to continue to keep like compounding their abilities, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you're going to be out. And this is true in lots and lots of things. Wrestlers start really, really young. And if you're getting good at a wrestler, you're getting good at like 8, 10, 12 years old. And if you're past that, it's really hard to develop in, even if you are really strong, really fast and really athletic. But the world is full of these people who came late to sports, especially football, because you can come really, really late to football and just be bigger, stronger and faster than everyone. But there's other sports like track and field where you can just jump in and find your ability right now. You don't need to develop this for a long time. And so it's interesting to see where these sports are. But you're right. There's some that are seen to be totally exclusive. I don't know that my son loves playing soccer now. He's not on the soccer team because he hasn't played on a soccer team in eight years. And it's the same season as cross country. But I wonder if he went out there, he could make a team. He's really, really fast and strong. 
would they want him on the team? Could he make it? He wanted to try out. We're like, well, you just got to decide. So it's interesting. Yeah, no, it's hard. And you're right. I still think being a good athlete can kind of make up for a lot of stuff. As somebody who coaches middle school basketball, I'll always have a couple of kids that have been playing a lot. And then I'll have a couple of kids that are just athletic. Maybe they're soccer players that come out and you realize now we can work with that kid and kind of bring them up to speed. And probably still, as you're saying, having a wide range of athletic experiences is probably still the best thing for kids. But I also, you know, the article talked about private lessons and how kind of the big business of travel sports is going on and how many parents are paying $60, $75, $150 an hour for their kid to get private training. And what's kind of interesting is sort of the fear of missing out that a lot of parents start to feel of like, oh, so-and-so's working like this, or they're getting this extra training, I better do this too. Or, you know, my kid's spot on the team could be impacted. And you could just see where this is just kind of like a vicious cycle that people just kind of stay on for a lot of different reasons, even though it may or may not be the best thing for them, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. That's where they are. And as long as they're still dedicated to it or they're willing to go or willing to bully their kid or pressure their kid, whether implicitly or explicitly into doing it, that's where they are. The thing that I found interesting too was just sort of the business. Uh, in that quote I read at the beginning, they said $19.2 billion a year industry at this point. And, you know, the guy who wrote the article, I think, is just very open and honest. And the thing I liked about it was he wasn't necessarily negative. He seemed really positive about his experience being a youth coach. But he just sort of talked about the idea that you get these families that are paying maybe $2,000, $3,000, sometimes like $10,000 a year to be on one of these clubs and how these clubs can generate hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year for whoever owns the club. And, that's something I didn't really realize about the club world until now that my kid's on a club. But apparently there's a business model of basically, you know, Don, you could start your own soccer club, try to get people to start paying you to start coaching their kids and get lots of teams at different age groups, make sure everybody's paying the fees. But really your goal is just to then sell your club to a bigger club that kind of wants your clientele list. And in the soccer world, it's all of these English Premier League teams that have now franchised themselves out throughout Michigan. And you've got like Liverpool that now has different like franchises and you can go pay for them. And part of the money kicks all the way back up to the Premier League team. You get their name, you get to use their jersey colors. They'll send in like some of their coaching representatives to make sure like you're doing things the Liverpool way. But it is a major business and a major just sort of area that I don't think it's talked about enough. Oh, absolutely. And they broke down the numbers there. It says you uh, get $2,500 per family for, what was it, 120 families or something. You got 600 grand real quick. And you can just get your facilities and so forth. And you can build a product thing. I mean, hey, yeah, I can see how this is a business. The kids have dreams. The parents have dreams. You're trying to fulfill those dreams. Is there anything wrong with that? I kept asking myself this whole thing of, Look, I feel like youth sport culture is usually negative when you look at the headlines and you look at people talking about it. My wife and I always said before we have kids, there's no way we're going to be on a club sport team in our life. We're, just, <laughs> we're not going to be a part of that. We're not going to spend our weekends in Canton, Ohio at some tournament. And yet here we are 
got through our first season and we loved it. We had a ton of fun. Our kid grew up in a lot of different ways. We signed up our youngest child to now play club soccer <laughs> next year. And so I can't sit here and say it's all bad. At the same time, I'm just like, man, am I a hypocrite? <laughs> no, you're growing older and realizing what you do. I mean, isn't that part of getting older is realizing the things that people did that you were like, oh, that's dumb. They did it for a reason. And you kind of understand now, like, oh, okay. If you were making decisions as if you were 23 still, then you'd be the fool. Now you're just like, okay, I get it. I understand where we are. This is, we have the money to do this. So let's do this thing. Doesn't mean you have to do it the way you did in the past. Say so I've thought that with millions of different things. The things that I didn't do as a kid because we didn't have the money doesn't mean that my kids shouldn't experience that. We can do it. Sure, let's do it. Why not? That's a good point. I mean, and there's a slow creep to it, right? It all started with a friend of ours saying, hey, there's this tryout. You want to go? Well, we'll go, but we're going to say no. And then all of a sudden we're in there and, well, maybe we'll just do it for one year, right? And it, it, I can see where you're right. Um, we can afford it and, and we can do it. And, uh, and like I said, we had a lot of fun. I, I would say that the article brings up regularly, and I do think this is a legitimate point, about the inequality to the whole thing. And that so many people are sort of stopped at the door because they can't afford it. I guess my question to you is, how legitimate of a point is this? But at the same time, Hasn't inequality and opportunities for kids always been there? And is it bigger than just travel sports? Yeah, this is a problem. Um, I think the problem is that all the things that people with money are doing to give their children advantage is exactly what it's doing. It's intended. It's giving their kids an advantage over somebody else. So it's not a, it's a zero sum game. Somebody you're giving an advantage of your daughter over somebody else who may have less opportunity or less money to do things. And the places where people can't give their kids this, or for the matter, SAT tutoring is still putting their kids, at the other people at a disadvantage. And when there's less groups doing activities and so forth, and that hurts them as well. Um, if you look at underprivileged communities, I mean, they're likely to have less people running sporting events, less safe places to do sports, and less able to compete with everybody else. I feel like that's more so now. I feel like in the 80s and 90s, there were communities of really good people that were playing basketball or playing running track or whatever that were pretty impressive and had dominant teams, but that seems less so now. Wasn't Flint the source of basketball for the state of Michigan? Doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. And I don't know. I don't know if there's been an erosion in, in certain disadvantaged areas and stuff like that. The only thing I could just kind of think of is, is, Sports and youth sports seems like a nice big target to critique about, you know, who gets to play and who doesn't. But then I just kind of sat down and was trying to make a list. And I was thinking, like, I have students that are hardcore into robotics. And basically, they're there because their parents are engineers or really, you know, take a lot of pride in what robotics can bring. And therefore, their family's all in on that. That is not a cheap activity. I have other students that are really into dance and they dance five days a week and go to competitions Ooh. every weekend. I got, you know, other kids that, as you were saying, extra tutoring opportunities or, you know, band and trying to have an instrument or even just going to summer camp. These are all things that take resources and money, not necessarily all of them are sports. And therefore, I just sort of wondered if maybe this should be a bigger think piece about just income inequality in general. 
well, and these the commonality of all these things you mentioned are a suburban community with a good amount of money where people are pursuing a specialization of some sort or another. And it's parents that want to look out for their kid, right? Give their kid uh, an experience uh, of some sort. And, and that's obviously there in common. And therefore, I guess I just couldn't decide if maybe we have hyper-focused too much on youth sport culture instead of maybe a, a larger thing about maybe just youth activity culture or something like that. Yeah, well, you're going to call robotics a sport, probably. You think esports are a sport. Their dance is kind of a sport. They're all sports, right, Zach? I think so. I know that we've sort of had this debate on and off, or they're at least activities. And doesn't everybody just want their kid to be involved in something or to maybe develop a mastery over something to give them confidence, as you're saying, to maybe, uh, you know, kind of learn about some life implicit skills and stuff like that. And I feel like that's what we really want. But ultimately, as, as we're kind of seeing there, like not everybody gets to have that experience. And I guess that is kind of the sad part about this. Well, we all want our kids to be successful in some way or another, but we have the resources to do that. I don't think people in underprivileged communities have the resources. They'd want to see their kids successful for certain, but they may not have the available opportunities in their community or the money to find those opportunities. So it might be harder for them. It probably the, is. The thing that I've kind of found is looking at like our high school and stuff like that. And a lot of the kids that now make it to the varsity team, which is not an easy thing to do, usually have an extensive background in club and travel sports and stuff like that for most of the sports. And if anything, I've talked to coaches and, you know, usually a common parent complaint is, well, on our travel team, this is what we do. Or this is not how we do it at our travel team or on our club team. I guess my question is, is could you ever see a day where public schools just kind of get out of sports altogether because we've just privatized it and it just runs better there than, than through the schools? I have two good questions there. The first one is, yeah, I know a lot of kids that are at the high school with my son who is a freshman and many of them did travel sports growing up and almost all of them ended up on freshman basketball or freshman baseball or freshman football. They didn't dominate, even though they just spent all the money and time in this travel this and travel that they probably, it seems based upon what I understand of freshman sports, that they have a very limited future at the varsity level. Um, and so, yeah, they may be upset that they didn't get that type of uh, treatment that they get at their club sport and they may be frustrated, but it's a subjective assessment by a coach. It is what it is. I will disagree with you that I don't think you have to have this extensive travel background to be successful. I think you do in some sports, like for the tennis team. If you've never played tennis before or you are just uh, playing on the court for fun, you're probably not going to be a dominant tennis player or a varsity tennis player unless you've had a lot of experience or maybe the team's really bad and they don't have a lot of skilled players. However, in football, you could just show up and never have played football before. And if you're strong and fast, you can be one of the best players. Same thing in track, cross country. There's other sports like that as well, where you don't need that performance background. But we're talking about a hyper-focused skill-based sport like of baseball, where yes, you do need to have all that experience. You can't just show up, I don't think, and just be this miracle out of nowhere. Now, could sports become separate entirely from school? Yes, in Canada, it is. In Canada, you do a sports club and you do your track and field club and then you don't ever really run for the team. 
you may run for your team at the regional and the OFSA, the, uh, the, the province championships, but you're not going to be with your high school team per se. Their high schools are smaller and clubs dominate sports. And so it's a very different world there. And it seems to work just fine. You're with your club all the way up from fourth grade all the way up to 12th grade or grade 13. I don't think they do grade 13 anymore. Anyway, and then you develop and stay with the club. So, yeah, it could happen. We like schools. And I think it's good because schools-based sports breeds community around the school and everybody supports them. Even though the team may not be good, they support their community and their school, which is a broader cohort than just a club. No, you're right. It's a very unique American thing to connect sports and schools together. As when I lived in Egypt, for instance, I mean, there was no such thing as school sports teams. They were all club teams, just like you're saying. And at the same time, you're right. It does foster maybe a broader sense of community. I mean, our school district can get 10,000 people to show up at a football game. And a lot of those people have kids that uh, maybe are at the schools, but a lot of them have either graduated or maybe they don't even have kids in the school district, but they're interested in the local kind of football team or basketball team. I don't think we can get 10,000 people to uh, watch you draw supply and demand graphs and stuff like that. No, probably not, but we can get people involved in the community and that's a good thing. And it's different for different sports and so forth, but it builds a local community and support for a local school, which is good. How much of this kind of uh, thinking about youth sports culture, because again, this isn't like the first article we've ever seen. And, and again, I just feel like generally the narrative in the media is usually negative. How much do you think it's authors or writers who are just jealous that they didn't have this kind of youth sports infrastructure when they were a kid? I, I, was, I was sort of thinking about this. And again, I remember loving my Little League baseball games. And every week we'd show up and so excited to want to play. What I remember most, though, is when I got to high school and all of a sudden, you know, sports get a little more serious. And all of a sudden there's early morning basketball workouts. And then there's weightlifting. And then there's summer basketball. And then there's team camps. And I loved being around my teammates. I loved my coach. And I loved him yelling at us and pushing us to be better one-on-one -on -one drills. But all of that work, that's when I really kind of fell in love with the game is when I was being pushed to be my best, if you know what I'm saying. And I always get fired up whenever I see football teams training in July just to see kids getting pushed and being challenged. And I always say, man, maybe I would have loved it if I was in seventh grade and had to have been pushed like a lot of these club teams do. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think the writers are probably noticing things are different and that can be good. That can be bad, but it's hard not to miss. Think about the differences in your experience compared to what it is now. Um, in terms of the, the thing with the high school level is people can handle it. They can, they're older, they're stronger. They can handle that kind of two a day, three a day thing. They can handle the extra punishment. The end can handle the extra training. I wouldn't want my, I have a seventh grader now. I wouldn't want him out there for two a day practices. I wouldn't want him living in the weight room. I have a freshman in high school who lifts for probably an hour a day year round because he loves it, but he can do that because he's a freshman in high school. I don't want my seventh grader doing that. His bones aren't ready for that. His body's not ready for that. And maybe there are seventh graders out there like that, but it's something that belongs at the level where it belongs. And you make a good point about age. And I do think that's appropriate. And I don't know, maybe all of a sudden I've just got rose colored glasses on and stuff like that. And I can just think proudly upon my high school years 
But, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I remember always looking forward to the one or two baseball games a week we had in the summer. And I bet you if we were playing in September and in May, I probably would have been just as excited to be able to go play those games. Um, at the same time, I don't know, maybe there would have been burnout and maybe scarcity still does matter. Well, and you're doing it with your friends. And that's yes. the most important thing is having fun with your friends. Now, as it got on to an upper level, I know you didn't stick with baseball after your freshman year, but I mean, imagine it would have whittled down and your friends would have changed and they wouldn't, some would be better and some would be worse. And you just watch that happen. I'm sure you saw it in your basketball team that you grew up playing with and played with all the way through high school. And that friend group changes and also the nature of the team and the competition changes and it gets more serious and to some degree less fun. And so it is interesting. And I don't think we should bring that to this lower level. That's a good point. In fact, uh, whenever I see some students that return back to our community that maybe have gone on to play some college level uh, sport, a lot of them come back with, you know, it's okay. Um, it's fine. Or some of them are just like, no, I quit. And I guess my question to you, because you obviously ran at a very high level at Michigan, did, did the fun go away by the time you got to college where that it just became so serious that, you know, just kind of being able to dink around and stuff like that just wasn't tolerated? Or did you notice that maybe it wasn't running, but other sports or maybe other athletes you knew where the fun maybe was gone by that point? It wasn't as fun as high school. When you're in high school, you're just, you're with your friends, you're doing your thing. And also all the competitions, there's many, many more competitions and likely some of them, you're going to kill the other team. And it's a very low key fun affair where you're just like, all right, we're going to race against Ypsilanti today. And I'm running five events and it's just going to be all fun and games because we're going to absolutely kill them. And not that we're belittling our competition, but it's just kind of a fun event. When you're in college, you might only run five meets all season. And the meets are big and important. And when you fly to Stanford, if you fly to Maine, if you fly, then it's a big event. It's not there. It's about let's have fun and kind of be silly. And wow, look at this place. It's more like, let's do this thing. This is business. We need to get this accomplished. This is real. And so there's less fun. It is neat to learn the performance and to get better and to perform at a higher level. That's more accomplishment than it is fun. It's also something where you will see your friends kind of winnow away. Some people improve and some people don't. And you may be traveling with a group of people that are three years older or three years younger than you. And that's your new teammate and your new core of people you spend all your time with. And your people that you came in with as freshmen are just not even there. So it's, it's a very, it's like the winnowing experience of high school, but much more extreme. And so, yeah, a lot of people quit. It's hard. And if you get hurt, you're out, you're out. I mean, it is really tough. And that's a part that I think people, of course, don't want to consider or think much about. But again, when they're just kids, I think there's a, a natural um, adrenaline rush that hits when you see your kid have some success. And of course, it just makes you think into infinity about, well, maybe if, and that seems to drive a lot of this, I think. Here's a good way to think about it. If you want to think about truly elite athletics and the competition and the way it works, my wife came in with eight other girls on the Michigan cross country and track team. She was the only one that graduated still on the team. During that time, she was an all American. She was all big 10 many, many times, but also had three stress fractures. It was very up and down. And she was one of eight that made it. I mean, that's hard. 
And there are good times, but there's also lots of bad times, a lot of tough times, and people that just dropped off. That's the nature of really elite sports. And I think you'd see the same in the NFL. You can see a lot of the roster changes a lot from year to year. People come and go and very few make it more than two or three years. And the team is changing and people are getting hurt and it's very hard. And I don't think we want to see that at the middle school and elementary school level. No, I, I think you're right. I, 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 this is a very good point. It's very sobering to kind of think about the, the future. Nobody wants to actually like see the realities of stress fractures and people not making it. I think people just want to live in the now of the hope because hope is a very powerful thing, I think. Absolutely. And the hope is, and you know what? The reality, if you make it to the most elite level, it's probably pretty lonely. You're still working with a trainer, but you're on your own and your teammates aren't there year after year. They're coming and going. You're putting a lot of time in on your own. And that's what these people are doing to make it to the most elite level, training really hard, mostly solitary maybe with a coach and it's lonely and it's hard. And even if you make it to that level, you, if you have a good college degree, what do you do after that? If you've been doing professional athletics for 10, 12 years, do you go into engineering now, 14 years after you learned about engineering? I don't think so. It's just a strange, strange, strange environment. One of the, the, the most common quotes you hear from athletes when they're asked about their free agency status or asked about a teammate, if they're going to get traded or their free agency status is they always start with, this is a business. They all seem very hardened to the idea of, yes, I'm an athlete. Yes, I play a game, but this is a business and that's how it needs to be looked at, you know, and, and there still might be fun and joy that they experience, but they also just seem like they know exactly what's left to do here and stuff like that. Yeah. I was reading about uh, Looney, the center for the warriors who are in the NBA finals here. He was a point forward in high school. He was like LeBron. He was the number one high school recruit. He went to college had double. He came out of the college, still kind of a point forward, a dribbling and shooting guy had double hip surgery in the NF NBA and realized that his job is to get rebounds and kick it out. He can play well. He can take you off the dribble. He can do all sorts of stuff, but he doesn't do that because he's trying to do a job. And what is my job? Rebound and pass. Watch the NBA finals. Andre Godala doesn't take an open three. He will hit them constantly, but his job is not that. His job is to get to the ball to the guy that can make the three. And so it's very businesslike. They're not playing a game. They're doing work. And that's what professional athletics is. And that's what high school is kind of halfway in between. Don't we want middle school and younger kids playing a game and having fun? That's a really good point. And I think in some ways, that's where it gets very blurry, is I think you'd probably get 50% of people that would say, yes, I want them playing a game. But I do think you get 50% of other parents that say, no, I'm paying for the work. Fair enough. I mean, my son was a freshman basketball player. He didn't start, but he played all the games for some degree, sometimes more, sometimes less. He was a very good athlete, but he didn't like to shoot. Never has liked to shoot since playing when he was in kindergarten. And we got him a membership to this place where you could put up shots for an hour at a time and the machine would kick it back to you. Said, all right, well, you can go here for a month and get all your shots up. You want to go? Not really. (laughs) Okay. Like he could be a really good elite basketball player with his athleticism, size, and strength if he would shoot. But he doesn't want to shoot. That's fine. Shooting is work for him. He doesn't want to do that work. He loves the work in the weight room. He loves the work running. Good. That's what he likes doing. 
but I'm not going to make them do it. And I think that's the line here is when parents are making kids do work rather than that the kids don't want to do. I think that's a really good way to kind of judge and, and think about if you've crossed it or not. Well, final question then is part of this article is sort of a think piece about the future of baseball. And it's just talking about how fewer and fewer kids are playing baseball. It's becoming much more of a richer white person sport more than anything else. Do you think we're going to see the end of baseball or do you think people are going to, you know, continue to want to watch it and stuff like that? I am not a baseball fan, but I have read for years and years and years, the death of baseball is coming soon. And what they found is they do these cross-sectional studies and say like, well, 18 year olds don't like watching baseball at all. And 20 year olds don't like watching baseball much. And 30 year olds kind of like watching baseball and 40 year olds like baseball a lot and 60 year olds love it. And then that means that soon <laughs> nobody will like it. But what happens is when people turn 30, they start to like baseball. When they turn 40, they like it a little more. When they turn 60, they like it a lot. Or at least that seems to what's be happening. Now, kids playing it less, yeah, I guess that matters a bit. But the people that like watching baseball like watching baseball. And it seems to be popular with the parent group around me. Seems to be popular with the kid group who is in ninth grade right now. We were around those people. They still all love baseball. No, that's a, that's a good point. If anything, the other thing that they just said is baseball is probably the most expensive of the club sports in terms of the gear. And I was talking to a couple of players that are on a club baseball team and you got to buy the batting gloves. You got to buy your own, of course, baseball mitt. But then there's like, you have to own your own batting helmet. And now everybody apparently owns their own bats. And apparently it's kind of socially not acceptable to go ask and say like, Don, can I borrow your bat? And then I've talked to dads who are like, yeah, like our bat's losing its pop. So we got to go spend another $400 on a new bat. And what's crazy to me is, is what I do remember also about playing baseball when I was a kid was there were like two bats that our team owned. There were two batting helmets and it was just like shared among things. And if you were sitting on the bench, you might give your glove to somebody else. And all that stuff was shared and now it's like, no, it's all your own gear that you bring and you use and you never let people use it. Well, now I know why my son didn't make it in baseball. We had a hand-me-down bat for, it must have been 40 years old. That's, that's the reason he didn't make it. Was it a wood uh, bat too? No, it was <laughs> aluminum, but it's there. Yeah, it's still in the garage. I think it's a t-ball bat. That must have been our downfall. Uh, yeah, I, I, I got to imagine it's really expensive and they travel all over the place in the private coaching seems like a huge investment, but the people that are in it seem like they're in it. And if they're in it and they're happy and their kids are happy, who am I to say they're wrong? Well, maybe you and I should make uh, t-shirts that say, thank God my kid was not a catcher or a hockey goalie. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Thank God we're middling in, in skill sports. Uh, we can focus on the sports that don't involve skill that are less expensive. The other thing about baseball is that my kid played one year of very, very young kid softball. And I just remember being super bored. And I get it that kids at that point don't have a ton of the skills to, to actually play the game well, but it's just a lot of standing. And I think I just personally struggle getting excited about watching it. When my son said he didn't want to play baseball anymore, I was overjoyed. I loved every game I went and watched him at. He seemed to be more enjoying the gum chewing than anything else. 
I, I was happy when he didn't play anymore. I haven't thought about attending a baseball game since. I'm fine to let baseball slide. Yeah, me too. But hey, others are going to play it. And uh, good luck to them all. And good luck to all kids and uh, parents in club sports and in parks and rec and uh, everywhere in America, I guess. Yeah, sure. Go. Go baseball. Well, Don, it's been a pleasure talking with you this week. I look forward to talking with you next week. Absolutely, Zach. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye.